And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. John Frame, J.D. Trimble, Professor of Systematic Theology and Philosophy at Reformed Theological Seminary, and he's now retired. Dr. Frame, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Good to be with you, Dan, and with your listeners. I, um, I'm particularly interested in a theme today, Dr. Frame, and it concerns the, uh, the biblical, let's say the biblical legitimacy of Christians influencing the world. Uh, certainly we go to church on Sunday, uh, worship with God's people, and uh, we get built up in the most holy faith, and we partake of the sacraments. Um, it's just a wonderful thing. And uh, I like to think that, that our faith uh, gets fleshed out in practical ways in this world, whether we're doctors and lawyers or HVAC mechanics or whatever our calling in life is, that we see the rule of God as ruler over the universe extending into every sphere of life. So maybe we could talk about that today and uh, perhaps contrast that with a with a view that says well the the visible church is is isolated it's got a separate existence from other earthly affairs it shouldn't be of the world and and that sort of thing so could you get us started talking about this rather large subject well it is a large subject dan but i tend to think of it fairly simplistically uh every time we go to church uh our pastors tell us that the uh, the topic of the Word of God, the sermon, is not just something to sit and listen to, but it's for us to uh, take with us when we leave the church and when we enter into our day-by-day uh, routine. And uh, that's certainly uh, in agreement with a uh, passage like 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I assume that includes our vocations, it includes uh, uh, all the things that we do, not just our worship and uh, prayer, but uh, also our, uh, if we're a plumber, we should be doing our plumbing to the glory of God. If we're writers, we should be writing to the glory of God. If we're scholars, we should be doing our scholarship to the glory of God. And inevitably, uh, if you have all the Christians... Uh, seeking to glorify God in whatever they do, that's going to uh, bring changes in society and and good changes, I believe. And uh, historically, of course, that's exactly what happened. Uh, uh, The uh, uh, presence of the Christian community has uh, led to changes in society, such as the abolition of slavery and Uh, teaching for literacy and education for all and political freedom and economic freedom and uh, uh, science and medicine and new thoughts about the family and the arts and the sanctity of life. I mean, it really is very difficult to imagine the modern world without the influence of uh, the Christian uh, church. Yeah, that's helpful. Before we started talking today, I was reviewing an an old document, in fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23. And it was talking there about Christians and um, how that it's lawful for them to 
accept and, and even execute the office of a magistrate, you know, when they're called to that line of work. And um, I think we have seen some Christians, maybe not many, who have gotten into the uh, uh, sphere of government, not that they want to have that take over the church, but they want to serve Christ uh, in that venue. Yes. Well, that, that's right. And uh, in a way, uh, unfortunate that uh, Christians have had to become a kind of faction. The, uh, over the years, uh, over recent years, there's been the moral majority and there's been uh, uh, various uh, organizations that have uh, furthered Christian goals and so on and so forth. But but that uh, that that we we shouldn't need any organization. Uh, the organization ought to be the church itself. Uh, the organization ought to be Christians who, as individuals and uh, in their vocations, are are bonded together and seeking uh, uh, to bring about greater adherence to the Ten Commandments and to uh, all the principles of Scripture. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, I'm I'm reminded um, a couple of things come to mind. The first is uh, the words of Jesus. Um, I believe he said something like, uh, every jot and tittle uh, will be fulfilled. So it's not like he went against uh, the law of God, but he um, helped us better understand it, apply it, carry it out. Yes, that's right. Uh, Of course, there are a lot of views about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and between the law and the gospel and and all of that and uh, so on. But it's quite clear that... uh, uh, for New Testament believers, there are obligations that we're that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, uh, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Mm-hmm. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount consists of his commandments. Uh, uh, the Great Commission, where he tells his uh, disciples to go through all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a commandment. And uh, in that context, Jesus tells us to do uh, everything uh, according as he has commanded us. So uh, when we go around preaching the gospel all over the world, uh, part of that preaching ought to be preaching the commandments of Jesus and teaching people how to live the way he wanted us to live. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier. You were pointing out, um, you, you mentioned uh, some kind of a movement, moral majority or something like that, but um, we don't need an organization. It, it seems what you're saying here, and it resonates with me, is this is an organic, natural obedience that flows out of a heart of love for Christ and and the words that he's written and, and the carrying out of his uh, commands into whatever area of life in, in which we're, we're serving. So it's rather a, a very lo, uh, low-level uh, thing that's grown out of the heart. Yes, uh, I, I'm not opposed to forming organizations. I think sometimes they might be useful for certain things, and there are some organizations that uh, uh, know more than I do about uh, the nuts and bolts of uh, accomplishing political and social change, and and that's okay. But, uh, you know, if every Christian were dedicated to uh, uh, carrying uh, the Lord's words wherever he goes and 
putting them into practice, uh, uh, that should be sufficient. Uh, uh, there, there are enough Christians in this country, certainly, and around the world that uh, uh, we, we could accomplish great things apart from uh, uh, having a kind of specific Christian movement. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not as well-read as many fellas are, but I, I am aware that you wrote um, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, A Theology of Lordship, and probably it's a very large work, knowing you. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering, um, could you distill a few thoughts, and maybe you already have, from that work uh, with our listeners here today? Yes, well, there's quite a bit in the book about uh, social action uh, affecting society in various ways. Uh, the first, uh, it's in two parts. The first part of the book is on uh, how we make ethical decisions, and basically the model is that we take the Word of God and we apply that Word of God to the situations in which we find ourselves, uh, and then we uh, uh, seek uh, to be internally, subjectively uh, satisfied with the choices that we make, and I call those are the three perspectives. And then uh, I talk about the Ten Commandments in some uh, depth, and, and basically, uh, you know, they, they single out uh, certain areas of life, uh, do not uh, kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, uh, certain areas in which people are especially tempted to uh, violate God's uh, law. But uh, not only that, but Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount, and if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's basically an exposition of the Ten Commandments, or some of the Ten Commandments. Jesus uh, says, you have heard it said uh, uh, that you shall not uh, murder, but uh, anyone who expresses anger against another person uh, is guilty of that commandment, and something similar with adultery, and and so on, so that Jesus is always telling us that our main obligation to God is uh, located in the heart. Certainly, we uh, have an obligation to do things, to perform actions, but our chief obligation is uh, love, which is something that belongs to the heart. And uh, it's love for God, and it's love for our neighbor. Those are the two great commandments, as Jesus sets it out. So when we're reading the Ten Commandments, we ought to be asking, uh, how does each one of these commandments affect uh, our heart relationship to God and to one another? And uh, Jesus sets forth a kind of anger, for instance, which is really murderous, uh, which is uh, contrary to love, it extinguishes our love for other people, and extinguishes our love for God, which is a, a very sad thing. So, uh, you know, that's my that's my book there about, <laughs> it's about a thousand pages long, but uh, because I think we do have to go into some detail here. It's a textbook for my uh, uh, students in ethics, and uh, so uh, we. I have a study guide for that, and we go through uh, uh, that in a lot of detail during the school term, but the main thrust is that uh, 
God has given us a, a way of making ethical decisions, uh, and uh, uh, so we don't need to be uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, thrashing around uh, wondering what to do and so on. And he's also given us standards of uh, uh, that ought to be governing our lives and our thoughts and our hearts. I like to think that um, our Lord reigns from his heavenly throne and that uh, the entire world uh, domain is is his and he's he's lord over all and yet i i know there's a a philosophy that's kind of sprung up sometimes referred to as the two kingdom approach and it makes me wonder and uh, this isn't original to me i've heard somebody say it you know well um tell me this mr two kingdom guy <laughs> uh, uh over over which sphere is christ not lord which area of life is he not lord over yeah well i've had a lot of dialogue with the two kingdom people and uh i think what the 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 answer they give to that is that christ uh, is lord over everything but he's lord in different ways and uh, they would say, uh, so far as the visible church is concerned, he's the Lord of our salvation. He's the Lord of salvation by grace through faith. And he's given us the written word of God to uh, show us how to be saved. And uh, we have to follow that. But on the other hand, there's this realm of the... Uh, uh, of uh, a common grace, it's sometimes called. It's a realm of uh, uh, secular society. And in that realm of secular society, we should not be governed by the Word of God. Uh, rather, we should be governed by uh, natural revelation or general revelation. That is to say, we should uh, uh, make our decisions according to uh, uh, their usefulness, according to consensus, according to uh, various uh, our, our feelings about them and various things like that, rather than looking for biblical principle. Now, I, I, I'm trying to be... You know, I'm trying to be sincere here in describing these two views, but I don't see the two kingdoms view in the Bible. The mm -hmm. Bible presents one kingdom. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what that one kingdom is, it's God coming into the world, of course, he rules the world from all eternity, but uh, uh, he comes into the world after the world has fallen into sin, and he breaks down the structures of rebellion. He breaks down the opposition to him. He defeats his enemies, and he establishes uh, the kingdom of God uh, here on earth, and that's the historical program that the scripture refers to as the kingdom of God, and I think that's the only kingdom that there is. There isn't any other kingdom, and uh, uh, in the kingdom of God, we follow the word of God. We follow the scriptures. Uh, certainly, we can learn a lot from general revelation. We can learn a lot about the uh, uh, from the way that the world is made and the 
that can help us to apply the Word of God to specific situations. But uh, we need to uh, follow God's Word and uh, uh, whatever, wherever we are, whether we are uh, uh, plumbers or writers or scholars or uh, husbands or wives or children or, or whatever may be our station in life. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I was just looking over here at uh, Romans 13, where we... Um, it's an interesting section. Maybe you can talk about it a little bit. Um, I see in here both a description as well as a prescription. Um, you know, it's describing the governing authorities or the magistrates and uh, mentioning that, that God has actually established these. But it's also prescribing for them, I think, that um, these rulers hold no terror for those who do right. And that, that, that means they have, they have a knowledge, they have a knowledge of what uh, is right and wrong. The moral law of God should be. Uh, high in 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 their view. Well, that's right. Uh, kings and rulers and authorities uh, uh, have been in the world uh, from almost the beginning of time uh, since the uh, fall, and uh, God established them in Israel. God established them in other nations, and God gave them uh, genuine authority uh, that uh, we should all uh, respect. But uh, their standards for uh, rulers, uh, just as their god godly standards for uh, Christians who, who are preachers or teachers or or uh, uh, business uh, uh, authorities or, or whatever field uh, there is, God sets the standards for every field of life, and, and uh, the uh, rule of nations is one of those fields of life, and. Uh, God expects uh, rulers to adhere to certain standards, to follow righteousness, uh, not to call good evil and evil good, but to call uh, good what is good. And, uh, uh, of course, he is the definition of good. So in Romans 13, uh, uh, Paul is uh, saying that that's the work of the ruler, and uh, as the ruler represents the uh, uh, goodness of God in the world, we should uh, uh, be subject to that ruler. Now, there are some times when rulers, uh, because they're fallen human beings, just as all of us are, uh, there are times when these rulers uh, command us to do things that are contrary to the Word of God. And uh, uh, that happened a couple of times in the book of Acts, and uh, uh, where the disciples were commanded that they should not uh, uh, preach in the name of Jesus, and they answered, uh, uh, we must obey God rather than man. Uh, so uh, uh, we we owe the uh, ruler, we owe the king, we owe the even the lesser authorities uh, obedience, uh, but we have to always remember that uh, uh, God uh, demands the ultimate obedience. And uh, uh, if there's a conflict between what God commands and what the civil authority commands, then we have to follow God uh, rather than human beings. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, in the beginning part of the scriptures in Genesis, um, there's a section that talks about 
our responsibility over the world, uh, sometimes called a cultural mandate or dominion mandate. Um, what's your view of that section as it applies to us today? Well, that gives uh, uh, the, the basic uh, responsibility of of human beings as God has created them in his image. Of course, God is the uh, one who rules over everything, and so he's when he uh, tells Adam to uh, replenish and subdue the earth, he's giving Adam a uh, secondary authority over the world that's uh, analogous to, it's in the image, of course, Adam is in the image of God, so Adam's work is in the image of God's work, and uh, so Adam's responsibility is to uh, fill the earth with people who uh, praise God's name and uh, to subdue the earth for the purposes uh, uh, of God, which are also the, the well-being of human beings. So that's the drama as it was set forth before the fall. Now, there's a lot of discussion among Christians as to whether that cultural mandate continues after the fall, but I think plainly it is. Uh, Adam does fall into sin. Uh, Eve does fall into sin, but they still have the responsibility. You know, that doesn't change their uh, responsibilities before God. They're still uh, to obey him. They're still to uh, seek his uh, righteousness. They're still to obey God's commands. And when you get to uh, Genesis 9, after the terrible flood that came over the earth, uh, God renews the cultural mandate to Noah and to his family and says that they should uh, uh, they should uh, uh, replenish the earth, they should fill the earth and subdue it. And uh, he intends uh, uh, them to spread over the face of the earth and to uh, uh, make it a, a place for uh, uh, the honor of God. So uh, we have that uh, in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, of course, Jesus uh, tells his disciples to uh, go and teach all nations. Uh, they too are to spread over the whole earth, and they're too to uh, make it fruitful in the strongest possible way. And they too are to bring the kingdom of God to bear uh, on uh, every circumstance of life. So uh, that uh, is, uh, of course, the great thing is uh, that by Matthew 28, uh, this comes after Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. But uh, that uh, makes everything even more wonderful because uh, as we spread over the earth, we're not just uh, uh, trying to make it fruitful by growing uh, trees and, and grains and so on, but we're also uh, making it uh, uh, fruitful by bringing the, the, the wonderful fruits of salvation uh, to uh, people. So uh, I think there's a uh, similarity, uh, there's a uh, continuity between the uh, cultural mandate in the Old Testament and the Great Commission in the New Testament. Mm. Yeah, well put. Today we're talking with Dr. John Frame. The Lordship of Christ extends into all areas of life. Dr. Frame, in the last two minutes remaining, um, you have a great interest in music. Uh, how has his Lordship 
perhaps uh, affected your your music uh, and and you know pursuing uh, music. Yes, well, I love to play the piano and organ, and uh, you know, when I was much younger, I directed choirs and so on and so forth. Uh, only really a very small amount of musical literature. I don't know much about uh, uh, jazz, although I love it. I don't know much about uh, rock and roll. I don't like that as much. But uh, anyway, I, uh, music is a wonderful thing that God has given us, and uh, of course the Bible indicates that it's very uh, suitable for the worship of God, and uh, so I, I look at music that way. I look at music as a testimony of, of faith. Uh, uh, now, uh, there, there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, people say, uh, what do you think about purely secular music? And uh, I, I love the classics, I love the symphonies and so on, and many of those don't refer specifically to God or specifically to Christ, but uh, I enjoy those in the kind of way that I enjoy uh, the night sky or the flowers of spring or the <laughs> any of the wonderful uh wonderful natural uh, wonders of creation and uh, uh, I just uh, thank God that he's made human beings with the capacity not only to paint pictures but to to paint with uh, sounds and and to create beauty in that way and uh, of course that beauty is analogous to God's own uh, beauty and uh, uh, the psalms tell us to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire and as so uh, so Philippians whatever things were are 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 are, are, are good and so on, we should be thinking of those. And I think that music is among those things that God has given us to think about to uh, remind us of Him. And uh, so I've always, uh, I guess that's one reason why I've always enjoyed the music of the church more than any other, more than other kinds of music, although if I had a little bit more uh, sensitivity in me, I might be able to re relate all music to uh, God, And uh, uh, but I look forward to it uh, uh, in heaven because we're told that uh, the saints and angels will be singing God's praise on the last day. Well, that's a beautiful wrap-up. Dr. Frame, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Our guest has been Dr. John Frame, the J.D. Trimble Professor of Systematic Theology and Philosophy, Reformed Theological Seminary, now retired. Uh, Dr. Frame, uh, Lord bless you, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dan, for inviting me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of Plain Answer. <laughs>